0: Alright, we are back. And in regards to how we closed that last session, please don't send us any hate mail. We're really not anti-Catholic, know, I'm a recovering Catholic myself. I mean, I got through confirmation, you know, when I was, what, 13? They told me at the time that meant I was a soldier of God. So far, thankfully, there's been no call-up. I do think my training in the art of how to grapple with Satan's minions probably wasn't all it could have been. But if Beelzebub does return back to Earth, I imagine there'll be some, you know, basic training or something. I don't know. Personally, I'm, I'm, I'm just pleased that we refrained from once again using the Vatican rag as bumper music on that last one. And Speaking of the great Tom Lear, somehow we managed to do a program last week on the periodic table of the elements and not, not use Tom Lear's great... 90-second song, The Elements, where he manages to do the entire periodic table in that time. I think we may, we may close today's show with that, though. Also, I would say that we showed some admirable restraint today in not using Will Durst's commentary on <laughs> Anthony Weiner. I, I, just, I just couldn't go there. We'll save it maybe for next week. Of course, I cannot promise you that Mr. McMillan will not come up with uh, the Oscar Mayer-Weiner jingle. But to, before we move too, too far away from sex scandals, I want to just back up a second back to the John Edwards story as to how it interfaces with the world of law and lawyers. Because writing in Slate.com, Richard Hansen noted that Edwards, you know, actually has a very good chance of beating this rap because campaign finance law specifically says it's legal to pay a candidate's personal expenses if these payments, quote, would have been made irrespective of the candidacy, unquote, which allows Senator Edwards to contend that he used that million dollars to keep Hunter and the baby out of sight in order to save his marriage. The government contends he did it to run for office. Notes Richard Hansen, that distinction is so murky and vague, it will be hard to prove him guilty, quote, beyond a reasonable doubt, unquote. Maybe we shouldn't have lawyers writing laws. What do you think? You do have to wonder how well we do with legislators doing all that legislating. When we noted uh, last month, I think in passing, that Belgium had now gone an entire year without a government. By way of reminder, elections in spring of last year gave the Flemish Nationalist Party, the New Flemish Alliance, the largest share in parliament. Apparently, it wants to weaken and ultimately sever ties between Flanders, the rich, Dutch-speaking north, and Wallonia, the poor, French-speaking south. But despite months of negotiating, party leaders were unable to form a government coalition with other parties, thanks largely to this successionist agenda. Observers have noted that there's growing evidence that Belgium apparently doesn't need an elected government. Under the caretaker administration, appointed by King Albert II, Belgium's economy did well despite the global recession. Yes, just have your king appoint the government. Things will go fine. Since we're talking about European wackiness, let's talk about some more. Apparently over in Russia, a religious sect has sprung up that worships Prime Minister Vladimir Putin as the reincarnation of St. Paul. The sect was founded by Svetlana Frolova, who calls herself Mother Fotina. She says that Putin was also in, the past, in a past life Vladimir I of Kiev, the saint who converted pagan Russian to Christianity in the year 988. And uh, speaking to the Russian magazine Sobetsnik, Frolova said, In his days in the KGB, Putin did some rather unrighteous things. But once he became president, he was imbued with the Holy Spirit, and just like the apostle, he started leading his flock. Well, that's one theory. Radio Parallax is willing to go on record in saying that we doubt that Vladimir Putin is indeed the reincarnation of St. Paul. For example, his imprisonment of Russian oil tycoon Mikhail Kordakovsky looks a little bad. Kordakovsky has uh, long maintained that his 2003 arrest on embezzlement charges was revenge for his financing opponents of Vladimir Putin, who was then president. The European Court of Human Rights last week said that uh, the oil tycoon has not proved that his arrest was politically motivated. The court said that while the case did raise a certain suspicion, there was insufficient proof to rule Kordakovsky a political prisoner it did find that he'd been held under inhuman and degrading conditions, such as the fact that he was kept in a cage in the courtroom during his original trial, during which time he was accused of stealing more oil than his company produced. Somewhat predictably, Russian Justice Minister Alexander Konovalov said the ruling should end the groundless claims regarding Russia's legal system. Eh, Probably not. And uh, the future probably looks bright for Russian uh, oil, at least uh, the gas concession in the wake of the fact that Germany has now announced it will shut all of its nuclear reactors by 2022. This is a policy inspired by the Fukushima disaster in Japan. Germany had been prepared to expand its nuclear uh, program before that. Currently, it provides nearly a quarter of Germany's energy, but it has long been unpopular. It's been noted that Chancellor Angela Merkel, who just nine months ago had announced that she would extend the lifespan of the country's reactors, was prompted by electoral considerations. Her Christian Democratic Party has been battered in local elections recently, and by taking a pro-environmental stance, she could be positioning her party for a chance at an alliance with the anti-nuclear Greens after the next election. Of course, what seems to save uh, Germany is the fact that it can import lots of gas from Russia, and can import lots of nuclear-powered electricity from neighboring France, which they're planning to do. We were kind of scratching our heads uh, over the decision by a German court um, last month regarding former U.S. citizen John Demanjuk, age 91. He was sentenced. Uh, in May to five years in prison for his role overseeing the deaths of thousands of Jews at a Nazi concentration camp. After working as an auto worker in the U.S. for 30 years, he was evidently misidentified by Holocaust survivors as Ivan the Terrible, a notoriously sadistic Nazi at the Treblinka extermination camp. Dukmagic was sentenced to death in Israel in 1988, but his conviction was later overturned when the Israeli Supreme Court ruled that he was not Ivan the Terrible, but a different guard at a different camp. After his conviction, some German prosecutors were saying, well, he was part of it, and he may have been, but if an Israeli court overturned the conviction, you just have to wonder about this latest bit of uh, (sighs) prosecution in Germany, don't you? I'd say if he was guilty of atrocities, even at age 91, yes. You know, throw the book at him. It seems to me there's a great deal of doubt about uh, what he did in World War II, and that's, um, that's just troubling. But uh, let's just not talk about European wackiness. Let's talk about American wackiness. As you may have noticed, Osama bin Laden was shot dead last month. And now a lot of people are questioning uh, what the appropriate role for the U.S. in the war in Afghanistan is. A war that continues to cost $2 billion a week, and occupies 100,000 American service personnel. Now, this $2 billion a week figure kind of surprises me. I, I thought it was less in Afghanistan. I know we're spending $3 billion a week in Iraq, which I guess has been pared down, but I'd, I'd like some accounting of what we're spending on those two theaters of war. If you have that data, please send it to us at info at radioparallax.com. Richard Clark was on Bill Maher's program a couple weeks ago, and he sort of shrugged and said, well, what's going to happen is Robert Gates is going to say, well, it's, it's a mistake to change our policy, we're going to pull 5,000 people out maybe, and this war is going to continue to just go on and on. It, it now has outlasted the time the Soviet Union spent in Afghanistan and is now the U.S.'s longest war in our entire history by a pretty good margin. And, and by the way, remember the surge of 30,000 troops we sent in in 2009? 30,000 sent in. We're talking about taking five or eight out now. For the record, President Obama's national security team is advocating a rapid drawdown of the surge troops and uh, looking to get the other 70,000 combat troops out by the end of 2012. Hey, just in time for an election. What a remarkable coincidence. Remember how we elected this guy to end the wars in Afghanistan and Iraq? How He was going to close Guantanamo. How he was going to crack the whip and make Wall Street toe the line. Not to say that Obama's been a disappointment, but you had to look at uh, the article by Nicholas Confessori, New York Times reprinted in the Sacramento Bee. That's where I saw it uh, on uh, Monday with the uh, headline, Obama seeks to win back 08 Wall Street allies noted the article Obama enraged many financial industry executives a year and a half ago by labeling them fat cats and criticizing their bonuses. Of course, I do believe none of them have gone to jail, but doggone it, he hurt their feelings when he called them fat cats. But yeah, I mean, you know, they start talking about taking, uh, taking us out of a uh, theater of war and the same voices start piping up. Like Kimberly and Fred Kagan in the Wall Street Journal, noting that if we cut and run now, we risk losing all the progress we've made. To which we ask, what, what, what progress are you speaking of? And of course, I remember how in the 60s, we had to stay in Vietnam because if we pulled out now, we would lose all the progress we've made. This should probably win an award for the all-time great scam argument as to why you need to stay into a bad, bad situation. Then we've got like the Dallas Morning News saying, well, you can see why Obama might be tempted to speed up the drawdown. Voters don't like the war. Congress doesn't want to keep paying for it. And the man responsible for starting it is dead. But it would be foolish of the president to ignore the advice of Robert Gates, a reasonable, pragmatic defense secretary who understands the real-world effects of policy decisions. Yes, he does understand the real-world effects of policy decisions, which means it's going to, like, cut a lot of defense contractors from being able to dip into the money river that they, they, they attack with buckets. No, we don't dare cut and run. I, I'm not sure what cut and run is, but I, I, I know it's bad. And, of course, that the famous war criminal Henry Kissinger spoke up to say, we aren't going to win this war. The surge has reached its limit of effectiveness, and our best alternative now is to negotiate with the Taliban. But if those talks are to succeed, we must keep up the military pressure. This is the weasel who decided the military pressure meant we would extend the bombing into Cambodia and Laos, which, among other things, brought about the Khmer Rouge regime, something of a folly. And despite the military pressure, in the end did not stop Vietnam from becoming a country unified from the north down. I love the argument, the other argument too, but why we need to stay. The, the defenders, the Afghani defenders, they're just not ready yet. No, it's true. They're not. And they won't be tomorrow, and they won't be the week after that. And since the defense forces appear to be, be composed these days of the dirt-poor illiterates from villages who have no other alternative but to, uh, to sign up, who had to be given cell phones so they could get paid because they couldn't write. By the way, that does, that does kind of come up the works when it comes to filing reports. <laughs> anyway, Robert Gates, a holdover from the George W. Bush administration, was before that a holdover from the Reagan administration, is insisting that combat troops should remain in Afghanistan until about, well, 2014. By the way, this crack analyst, while employed by the CIA to investigate the Soviet Union, failed to notice that the USSR was tottering and about to collapse into the gutter like a drunk who had exceeded his vodka limit, and to the contrary was part of the Hawks who insisted that the Soviet Union was 10 feet tall and that we had to do everything we can to spend mightily to equal what Ivan was up to. We're going to revisit that topic later in the summer. But not to say the Pentagon isn't doing some good. They've now developed a prototype robot hummingbird (laughs) with which they could conduct surveillance with a tiny camera as it flies in and out of windows or perches on power lines and tree branches. This little drone, which weighs less than an AA battery and can fit into a pocket, actually flaps its wings as it flies. Something else we need to address is these couple of senators that said, Boy, if the public knew what was in the Patriot Act, they'd be really worried, but we can't tell you because it's classified. That didn't seem to get the play in the press that it perhaps deserved need to ask some cyber experts about things like the the fact that the iPhone and other Apple mobile devices uh, are tracking our every move. Last month a couple of data scientists triggered a new privacy firestorm by revealing that without your consent or any warning labels, iPhones, iPads and iTouches track their owners' GPS locations, store their movements for up to a year, then stream this geo data back to Apple. Writing in the AP, Jordan Robertson asked, if you think there's any laws against this, think again. Phone companies can't share information obtained from your cell without your consent, but the government hasn't gotten around to hardware and software makers like Apple and Google. Of course, all makers of, quote, spy phones, unquote, have their excuses for snooping. They claim that mining data about our whereabouts will be good for us because it will allow them to identify Wi-Fi hotspots and create... Services to fill our needs, including advertising aimed at reaching us when we're near a particular store. Now, that'll be a huge plus for all of us, won't it? Of course, I have to admit, when it comes to all this whiz high-tech stuff, I love the story of Joshua Kaufman, who apparently had his laptop ripped off. On March 21st, it was taken from his Oakland apartment. He then activated some theft tracking software, which allowed the computer to take a picture of the guy that was operating it. He then posted photos of the guy who turned out to be Muthana Aldabashi. Kaufman circulated his picture and said, hey, this guy's got my laptop, which led to Aldabashi getting arrested and Kaufman getting his laptop back. Of course, where's that going to lead? Writing in CNN.com, Mark Millian noted that Google engineers are working on a mobile app that would allow users to snap pictures of people's faces in order to access their personal information. The app would link an image search engine to a face recognition program so users could pull up a profile of anyone whose picture they snapped, provided the photographic subjects had given Google permission to match photos with their personal information. And by the way, if anybody asks, sure, give them the right to do that. What could possibly go wrong? Actually, of course, privacy advocates have pointed out, for example, that a stalker could use the app to find out where someone lives. One such privacy advocate noted that the company has a tendency to push boundaries in order to outdo competition. Of course, a Google spokesman said, not to worry, it's a sensitive area, and we're taking a sort of cautious route with this. I feel better already. You know, the thing about Radio Parallax is, you know, we don't even know how you would even classify a segment like the one we're in the middle of. I guess we'll just call it random rants. And here's another one. If you take the time to do DNA testing on fish sold in the market, and apparently some have, you'd find out that a quarter of the fish in American supermarkets are fraudulently labeled. And that rate rises to as much as 70% for desirable species like red snapper, Atlantic cod, and wild salmon. Apparently cheaper cuts of Vietnamese catfish, thresher shark, and tilapia are routinely passed off as more expensive fillets. And we've got to take a break in a minute, so let's close with this item from New Scientist magazine, in which the editors noted that you would have thought that the Marksman 400W submersible dirty water pump would be A, submersible, and B, used for pumping dirty water. And they noted, so did Mark Inwood, until he read the instructions, whereupon he was told he must, quote, not use it in moist or wet environments, unquote, and he must not, quote, use in damp locations, unquote. Let us take a break. You're listening to Radio Parallax. I'm Douglas Everett. Stay tuned.